Book Riot's annual challenge is back. Once again, Read Harder 2020 has 24 tasks designed to help you break out of your reading bubble and expand your worldview through books. With new genres, new authors, and new points of view, the challenge will hopefully help you discover amazing books you wouldn't have otherwise picked up. Read historical fiction that's not about World War II, a retelling of a classic or fairy tale, horror from indie presses, and more in this year's challenge. Go to bookriot.com slash readharder to get the full challenge task list and to check out the prizing for those who complete the challenge with a bonus prize this year. Hello, and welcome to episode 23 of Kidlit These Days, a Book Riot podcast. At Kidlit These Days, we are your Kidlit connoisseurs, pairing the best of children's literature with what's going on in the world today. I am Matthew Winner, a little under the weather, <laughs> but here to party alongside Nicole Young. And we are here to have conversations that create opportunities for parents, grandparents, teachers, librarians, and all who love children's books to engage in the world through literature in a deeper and broader way. We are recording on February 15, 2020. Good evening, Nicole. Hi, Matthew. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to be back with you for another episode of Kid Lit These Days, and I'm looking forward to diving in. Oh, boy. We are going to be doing some deep diving, too. Our focus this week is on xenophobia. And given what's been going on in the news recently, I mean, and always, we feel like it was time to examine this topic through a kidlit lens. But first, Nicole, would you mind sharing with us our, our sponsor? For sure. Get Booked, our podcast for personalized reading recommendations, has added a weekly bonus episode called The Hand Cell. Jen and Amanda, former booksellers, take five minutes every episode to pitch you a book that they think you'll love with notes about what readers the book is perfect for. The hosts will be focusing on books they haven't talked about much or at all on the show before. So come here about a new-to-you read. Regular episodes of Get Booked will continue to come out every Thursday, with bonus episodes of The Hand Cell coming out every Monday. Subscribe to Get Booked wherever you get your podcasts. Don't you just love that feeling of someone recommending a book to you that you end up reading and like obsessing over and then you feel like connected to that individual i love that i have a little <laughs> bookstore here in new orleans that's like my place and i go and i tell them what i'm thinking or what i'm like feeling and they always have a great recommendation they have never steered me wrong so shout out to blue cypress books out here in New Orleans. that's awesome <laughs> they're fantastic <laughs> i love that yeah when someone when someone knows you and just is is so well read that they can recommend something that you will love. I feel like that, doesn't that just build like the best loyalty for that store too? You want to just keep coming in and getting your book fixed. Exactly. Exactly. Nice. <laughs> um, well, there's so much going on in the world today that that seeks to paint outsiders as dangerous and harmful. Um, there's Brexit. There's the new travel bans here in the United States, Islamophobia and anti-Semitism worldwide, racism around the coronavirus, 
Um, the list goes on. Um, and xenophobia, this fear of outsiders or strangers, is something I think a lot about as an educator um, and a policymaker. And I think about how do we as adults help children understand that xenophobia is wrong and dangerous? And how can kids' literature in particular help shape children's understanding of a broader world, rich with hundreds of cultures, languages, people that are both very similar um, and very different from their own, right? Yes. It strikes me that so much has to do with what we grown-ups put in the hands of children. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think it's so interesting, I think, um, how... It's, I've talked to a lot of adults who have kids during this time, and they're always like, it's hard to talk about these topics with kids. But I think kids are always curious um, about what is happening in the world, right? They get the feeling, even if they, in the, the broad strokes and the outlines, even if they can't put their finger on exactly what, you know, they may not know exactly what a travel ban is, but people can hear and under, ch- children can hear and understand really deeply, um, and I think really imp- empathetically. Um, what is happening in the world around them. And I think it's our responsibility as adults to kind of help shepherd them through um, those difficult conversations as early as we can manage it. Um, So I had some resources that I wanted to share. Um, I love teachingtolerance.org. And they have a lot of resources that help educators. It's really, there's a focus on educators, but I think there's also just a lot of resources for parents as well. Um, and they have resources that include a piece around countering Islamophobia through education, speaking up against racism, um, specifically around this new coronavirus. Um, and so there, those links will be up on our website um, soon. Yeah, that's bookriot.com slash listen. And you find episode 23 of Kidlet these days. The, the, the directions that we could go <laughs> in talking about xenophobia is is staggering and i have to admit that i this is without doubt privilege this is without doubt growing up not feeling threatened being a white man that has 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 really taken to seeing my students and how the individuals represented in the news and the the attacks and the suffering and things like that are represented in my classroom, I've really taken it to heart um, how I represent and respond um, and how that can communicate my values mm. and center my children and their families, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that perhaps, perhaps we don't, some of us, not we, I'm generalizing here, perhaps some parents um, are afraid to open up these conversations to their children because they are afraid that they don't have the answers. Yes. Yeah. The, I think the great news, as you're saying, is that there's answers there, that there's resources there, and that it's also okay to tell your kid, I don't know, but I'm learning, um, and I want to make room for other people. I think about, um, especially when we have these different events that happen and immediately in my classroom, kids are talking about it. Mm-hmm. Immediately. Yes, immediately, um, always. Yeah. yeah. They know about... I have had children that know about synagogue bombings and have spoke, have, have used mm-hmm. language about not feeling safe. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine a child not feeling safe, how unfair that is. 
Yeah. Right? Not that I can't imagine it, but just how awful uh, that that is. And so for for any one of us to know that we have opportunity to step in and and try to make space, not just for for those individuals to feel safe, but for all of us to help make safe spaces for everyone through understanding, through representation. There's lots of ways that I think are simple that we might take for granted that we can do that can that can just help our children be um be more tolerant, more more loving, more accepting toward folks that are different from them, different experiences than than they have. I agree. I think there's so much work. I think you're right about the power of saying I don't know um, to children. I have found a lot of strength in that um, in in times when I am working as an educator because I think it helps encourage children to find that knowledge also on their own. It's like I don't know, but I'm learning, and let's go find out together about this um, and how we can be better allies or supporters for our friends who are from a different culture or from a different language or a different world um, or a different part of the world than we are. Um, And you work with the littles, Matthew, and I used to be a school administrator in a high school. And um, similarly, you know, my students would be coming in and they they know what's happening around the world. And I think they would be talking about feelings of unsafe and they needed to hear that there were adults who were holding them and, you know, and who were there to provide a safe space where they could be their whole selves, um, where they were loved and accepted and where it didn't matter um, what what kind of negative conversations were happening outside of that building, but that there was somewhere, there were places that they could go where they felt like people who were not their family um, were also in support of them. And so I feel like it's really critical for educators, but also, you know, um, community members, et cetera, to think about how you become um, one of those safe adults who can have those conversations um, and who are supporters um, and who young people can feel like, you know, they've got on their side. I don't think it's critical. You brought up the coronavirus, and yeah. when I first, when we all were first hearing about this virus spreading, and uh, my children, my students can tell you, uh, and and I'm, I bet my son could too, tell you how um, much like we adults are hearing in the news how it's being compared to SARS. I was staggering to me that I had third graders at lunch two days ago telling me about. Oh yeah, it's worse than SARS, and I thought, really? how do you have any basis of prior <laughs> SARS knowledge? SARS predates you. Oh my god! But they listen. <laughs> Children listen to things. Um, but to to hear that at first, and just think this is a disease spreading, but not follow it back to this is a disease that's starting in one town in one country, mm-hmm. and is causing people to act out of fear toward folks in that one town or in that entire country or of that entire side of the globe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's awful to follow that backward and to realize that, that this is what some of us are doing or that we need to be mindful that that is not ever the thought that goes into our, our children's minds that instead we can be turning among other things to, what it must feel like to have family there and to have travel blocked and to not be able to see them and to not know if they're going to be okay and how helpless one might feel and how we need to step in and be friends to those folks that might be feeling some real fear that could be preventing them from learning, be preventing them from just 
acting out whatever is quote unquote normal around others. Uh, it's, it's, it's something that I, I would never wish on any of us to have to feel like you cannot get to those that you care about, that you are, you are, you are, that your nation has blocked you from going and caring for them. Yeah. Um, but instead we have, I'm sorry. I I think that your point is just really a good one because again, teaching tolerance who I love, I think they do a a lot of great work. I think they talk a lot about interrupting racism and I hear you talking about empathy. And I think that empathy is such an important interrupter of racism (laughs) and like interrupter. That's a great way to remind ourselves just to, shake ourselves out of it Mm -hmm. and to focus on like the plight of people who yeah like you said are are themselves scared right or you know who are in cities or or um, countries that are on lockdown because they they can't leave their homes because of this virus and helping people and helping our children in particular um, empathize with folks that they can't see all the way across the globe Um, I think it's such a, a good tool throughout all the types of the ways in which xenophobia crop up, right, around coronavirus, around travel bans, et cetera, um, to think about what it might mean um, interrupting racism with empathy, you know, not being able to reach your family, not being able to go home, you know, um, for some people. Yeah. I found it tremendously helpful, too, to be exploring uh, refugee experiences with Mm -hmm. my children and with my students, because that is something that's also often very foreign to children. And we need to be careful not to generalize or or make monolith of the refugee experience because every experience is different and under different circumstances. But being in a position where you are forced to flee your home because of, of imminent threat uh, and then what it might mean to, to, to be in effect homeless and be in circumstances where where it may feel like none will welcome you it is quite, I would imagine, an awful and solitary feeling. I remember, I don't know if you remember this, I don't know actually how close we are in age, Matthew, but um, there was a book when I was a, a kid, uh, Zlata's Diary was a book, and it was about a young girl who was in living in wartime Sarajevo. Um, and it had a huge impact on my life because I remember reading that book and knowing that that war was an ongoing conflict in another part of the world right then as I was reading it um, and it having a huge impact on me and me thinking about the fact that like the war that I would see projected on TV was not just some like foreign thing, but there was a young girl who was about my age who was experiencing that somewhere. Um, and I think, yeah, to your point about refugee stories and the power that they have to help people put themselves in someone else's shoes. I remember having books like that um, really shake up my life and my understanding of the world at a very, very young age. So, Nicole, I was not a reader as a child. Really? When I, when I became independent as a reader, um, I sort of dropped off from reading. My parents didn't really model reading. They were not avid readers. My dad read the paper. Mm-hmm. Um, I read... Nintendo Power, and I mean that. I mean that, like, I would have told you up until college that I didn't read a thing, and really? only now am I able to take ownership that. Well, I was reading gaming magazines, so I guess there was some sort of cultural connection going on. But, um, <laughs> but it's been wild to be working with children and to 
really reflect on how I'm not only trying as hard as I can to make sure that I am being as representative and culturally responsive in my teaching with these children as I wish someone would have been with me. Mm. I'm, I'm sort of actively trying to, or re- maybe retroactively trying to fill in those gaps that I had. I added a link in our show notes that I'm going to bring up here because I feel like for, for white folks like me that may have grown up in a, a very white centered uh, upbringing, or maybe that you feel like you're in a part of the country or a, a neighborhood or whatever, that your kids just have white friends. What do I do about my kid only having white friends? Um, I want to diversify um, my my kids' friends list. If that diversity is a, a value to you, which I, I hope that it is, I hope that you can see um, value in your children seeing and respecting and 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 understanding what different cultures and different um, families look like and different experiences look like. I'll put a link in here from Mother, uh, a blog and magazine, um, where someone wrote to the editor <laughs> saying, help, my kids only have white friends, <laughs> which sounds wonderful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but <laughs> the author, the author is a, a, a woman of color and she's writing to, uh, I think she writes in the article itself in this one, uh, that she's assuming that the writer, uh, the the person writing in was white, uh, is white, and and she talks about maybe the direct you know neighborhood or whatever that your kid lives in, or the school that your kid goes to or whatever. Maybe the everyday places you go are are um, white dominant, but there are places you can disrupt that yeah. places that that are more diverse, and you can also call community centers or places that you're going or story hours that you're going to or whatever and just ask the folks that run those places is this a an inclusive diverse uh diversely attended event something that i never would have thought to ask and yet now i see myself asking that looking through that sort of diversity audit type lens on all the things that i do asking when we send our kid to to a, a camp over the summer or when we are um, looking at different after-school programs or things like that, are we giving him opportunity to be in um, a gender-diverse gender group, to be in an ethnically diverse group? This is all something that we should be mindful of and thoughtful when we are bringing our children into these um, groups, much like the books that we pick from the libraries to read to our kids. Everything should be done thoughtfully and with intention because everything, every experience we put in front of our kids is going to help shape them. And don't you want to help give them a more representative view of their world? I think that's, I love that. Um, I also just think it's really important. I have a friend who talks a lot about cultural humility um, and and practicing cultural humility, right? And I think that that it's really pertinent to this conversation because um, part of allowing, like thinking about building intentional spaces that are diverse for every children, to, every child to be a part of. Um, I think there's this critical piece 
around making sure that as you're walking into that space and as you and your children are walking into that space, that you're bringing a certain amount of cultural humility, right? That your culture, your understanding of how things work, your understanding of how things are run, don't dominate that space. And, I, and that's really important for me as a black woman. You know, like I've, I've been in a, a lot of spaces um, throughout my life where I am the only person of color. I'm the only black person in a space. Um, and I don't know many of my white friends who've had much of those experiences, right? <laughs> and so like teaching children early on, especially children um, that are not kids of color, how to walk into spaces where they may not be the majority and and just be humble and learn and grow and be learn how to be silent sometimes and learn how to hear the perspectives of people who you don't always hear from. I think it's an it's a it's a muscle, right, that has to be developed and the sooner that um that we can help kids develop that muscle, um, all children, I think the the more we have a, this sense of cultural humility and this belief that there is no one way or one type of being and that there are many ways and many way, you know ways to be and that they're equally beautiful and equally valid um, and that we as as sharers of the earth have to figure out how um, we can we can live in harmony with other people who who hold different cultural values or norms um, or experiences than we do so yes I like that phrase cultural humility yeah mm-hmm. it I, I feel like it's if not that, then you get you 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 run risk of getting that outcome of being fearful when you're in a, a space where um, you are uh, the only white person or the only um, well, yeah, I mean the only white person. If I'm speaking yeah. from like. <laughs> What I'm, what am I thought? Where am I trying to sheep be sheepish around this? Like, I, I know what that is to be constantly in spaces that are white dominated constantly. Um, and how, if not taking on this experience or having regular opportunity to experience cultural humility, having not modeled for you that, then it instead can turn to fear and discomfort in something you're trying to escape mm-hmm. rather than something that you just recognize as this is a space for me to listen more and other things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> ah, Nicole. Ah, amazingness. <laughs> so, um, we, I, 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 there are so many books we can lead to in this, but I, I, I know that um, prior to recording, you brought up George Takai. Do you yes. want to share about that before I do my next sponsor? I do, because I think one thing that's really critical in this conversation about xenophobia is centering all of these co- modern conversations that we're having, especially when we're talking to children and about children's literature, centering them in a historical context. Because I think um, part of the reason why we perpetuate, you know, xenophobia and hatred and misunderstanding at different, you know, times in history is because we don't think about the ways in which the things that we're doing right now are callbacks to another time, right? Um, And so I just think it's really important to help uh, both children and adults contextualize the events that are happening today. And so I, I was talking to a friend recently, and she was being very candid. I appreciated her honesty. And she was saying that she did not remember learning about Japanese internment when she was in school. And she didn't know about it until she was an adult, right? And so when we were talking about this conversation about um, refugees here in our country right now, 
undocumented people and how they are being interned, right? Um, everyone feels like this is a fresh conversation, but it is not. You know, we have done, the, the United States has done this before. Um, and it's important to know that history so that we can be better advocates and allies. Um, and so George Takai, along with his co-writers, um, Justin Isinger and Stephen Scott, um, illustrated by Harmony Becker, wrote this beautiful graphic novel um, that, that that is called um, They Called Us Enemy about his experience in internment. Um, he was interned as a child in the United States um, during World War II. And um, it is a stunning graphic novel. I um, I read it. I was telling you, Matthew, before the recording, I'm, I read it. I picked it up when I was um, traveling this summer. And it just is incredible. And I think people should know that that happened, that part of our history is real um, and that it's happening again. And it's and it's a thing that we've done before. And we should think about the forces that led to it the first time and the forces that are leading to it now um, and how we can disrupt them and how we can um, advocate for our fellow human beings in this country. Um, and there's also another book we were talking about, also a graphic novel um, about the Holocaust called Hidden, a child's story. It's written by um, Loic Devalier. I don't know if I'm saying this right, uh, the name. Loic Devalier and Greg Salcedo. And it's illustrated by Mark Lozano. And it's also a contextualized understanding of what was happening during the Holocaust. And you've read it, Matthew. Is that right? I have read Hidden. It's been a couple of years. Um, but I, it, it brings to mind, as you're bringing up, internment camps that 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 like with the holocaust this, these are not the only death camps that have happened these are these are things that still persist today we'd like to think that we're so far removed from this history but we're not there's mm-hmm. there's things happening in the world we're just not centering our understanding on them mm-hmm. and we should yeah. we should be and I think it's important for us to remember that they're living, breathing people who, who experience this. You know, George Takai, actor, like he's lived, you know, he's very much alive right now. And this was his childhood experience. Similarly, you know, like my mother was a child during she was the first um, class of students to integrate her elementary school. Right. And so um, we think these things are so far away, so far behind us. Um, but my very alive 62-year-old mother um, was the first group of people to integrate her her high school and or her elementary school rather in Brooklyn, New York. Right. So, yeah, it's pretty recent. Mm. Well, we've got an abundance of links that we will add to the show notes, as said at bookriot.com forward slash listen. Um, and I, I I can't wait for folks to dive deeper into this. As well as I, I put a note in here too about um, the anti-racist book festival for those that live in or around DC. Uh, it happens at American University. I think it's April twenty-third. Ibram Kendi, who wrote "How to Be Anti-Racist," uh, heads up this book festival, and there's a great number of people that will be there this year, including Robin DiAngelo, who wrote "White Fragility," mm. um, Jackie Woodson, Jacqueline Woodson will be there, Jason Reynolds, many, many other folks who are, uh, I think, great resources. Um, their books are great resources. Um, their their work at large is a great resource for how we can uh, go about dismantling some of these um, racist structures that we have in our country and uh, make space to see all people in their experiences. 
Um, I love Robin D'Angelo's book, um, and I think she does a really good job of helping white people understand um, how they can be better community members, right? Um, and so if folks haven't read her work, I strongly encourage you to do it and check out the book fair for sure. All right. Well, let me take us to our sponsor, and then we are going to do a whole bunch of book talks. Yes! So <laughs> first, Libro FM. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and some of the hottest new audiobook releases like The Testaments by Margaret Atwood, The Starless Sea by Aaron Morgenstern, Children of Virtue and Vengeance by Tommy Adeyemi, and Over the Top by Queer Eyes Jonathan Van Ness. With Libro FM, You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. Also, listeners of Kid Lit These Days get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro FM. That's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M. And enter code BR3. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. You know, Nicole, <laughs> I am a heavy Libro user because um, I can I can benefit my uh, favorite indie bookstores, uh, and also that's the way I get through middle grade and YA. <laughs> really? <laughs> so with the books we're about to be talking about, if it's middle grade or YA, I depend on audiobooks and um I'm so grateful that we're getting more and more of them. Are you an audiobook listener? I occasionally dip in and out of audiobooks, but I like I like the the book in my hand. I'm really into that. <laughs> oh, I love the book in my hand. I'll do that ridiculous thing of because I'm such a slow reader, I'll have a copy of the book or an arc of the book sometimes and I'll still like dog ear the pages from listening <laughs> to the audio. <laughs> Oh, I, I love that. Wait, that I love that. That's such a great <laughs> multimedia. I love that. I love it. I love it. <laughs> you know, so when my kid reads the book and he comes up on whatever page bent down, there'll be a moment and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember listening to that. <laughs> but you'll notice that the the, the spine isn't well worn. <laughs> That's well, the best. Matthew, I think I'm going to start adopting that as a practice if I do. Just saying, <laughs> I love that so much. I'm just saying it's, you know, we talk about all the books. I, 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 I'm listening again to Ibram Kendi's How to Be Anti-Racist, and I'm highlighting my book and, like, underlining. And it's, you know, if I'm driving to work, I have to, at some point, stop the audiobook because I'm like, oh, I'm taking in too much. I, I'm going to forget what pages I'm on to go back and highlight these things. So, yeah, you'll, it, it may be like, <laughs> it, I may be setting up some really bad habits, but I feel like in some way I'm also, like, deeply internalizing these books and these voices. So, not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and speaking of deeply internalizing books, <laughs> Awful segue. Um, it's, <laughs> it's time for our book talk segment. So, of all the books we're going to listen, we're going to mention today. Remember, you can find them at bookriot.com/slash/listen. Go to episode twenty-three of Kidlet these days. If you also have a book to recommend that we miss, because I am sure we're not going to hit all of your favorite books. Hit us up on social media, use hashtag KidLitTheseDays, or email us at 
kid lit these days at bookriot.com. We love getting mail from you. We love hearing what you're reading. Uh, and we love hearing when you connect with the stuff that we talk about. So, Nicole, yes. do you want to start us off with a, a, a good book recommendation? So, The Proudest Blue is it's a story of hijab and family. And um, we're going to, I'm going to have to go back and, and do pronunciation on this. Um, it, Ibtihaj Muhammad, um, who is an Olympic fencer, um, who, who is hijab. And I think she's the first hijabi um, Olympian ever. Is, I think that could be right. Um, and this book is just so beautiful. It's just so beautiful. Um, and I think it's it's her effort and her desire to like normalize her own hijab and talk about her experience and how proud she was a, as a child um, to, to see her big sister get her hijab for the first time. Um, and I just also love this book because um, the characters here are, are dark skin, um, are dark skin characters. And I, I'm, I lived for a long time in Philly. And um, a lot of the um, folks who practice Islam in Philly are black people. And I think that when you think about who is hijabi in this country, there's a very different profile. Um, and I loved that this was just like, you know, just an array of, of brown people um, who are hijabi and she kind of normalizes this experience. She talks about how proud she is of the day her sister gets her blue hijab. And I just love that book. And I wanted, I just want to offer it as an offering, um, alongside yours. And the illustrator, uh, there is SK Ali Hatem Ali. Um, and it's yeah, the co-author is, is SK Ali. And then the illustrator Hatem Ali, you might know from the Inquisitor's Tale, um, I don't know the Inquisitor's Tale. Oh, by Adam Gidwitz. It won the Newbery. Uh, phenomenal book. Yeah. Among other things, he also illustrates um, Meet Yasmin, a, a series published from Capstone, written mm-hmm. by Sadia Faruqi. Love it. Mm-hmm. Hatem is a cartoonist. Oh, I see this. So oh, I'm, I'm quite this. aware of Hatem's work. I love Hatem's work. I um going along with the, the one you mentioned earlier, under my hijab by Hannah Khan and illustrated by Alia Jalil uh, shows a family of women um, wearing hijab differently and um, also wearing them at times and not. Um, and I think that recognizing that hijab is worn uh, sometimes for religious purposes and others um, n- not as strictly that it means different it's observed differently in different uh, families is important and recognizing uh, all of the different people that do wear it. As you said, too, I think about also Mami's Kimar by Jamila Tompkins Bigelow mm-hmm. and illustrated by Ebony Glenn, which is about uh, a, a black Muslim woman, uh, a girl in particular who looks up to her mom for everything uh, and loves to play in mommy's colorful kimar, which is a uh, a uh, 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 a flowing scarf, a hijab, and um, and all that it means for this girl to pretend that her mommy's kimar is a superhero's cape, or is uh, when she wears it, she's a bird, or all these different mm-hmm. ways of playing with this. Um, but also in this book, we see representation of um, two different. Religions that um, uh, the daughter's or the the girl's family is Muslim, but her grandparents are Christian. And so it's neat to see that uh, sort of intersectionality of religion as well. And yeah, I book. think all three of those books are just so crucial because I think back to our conversation about cultural humility, I think as American 
um, it, as we try to combat Islamophobia, right, in, in the lives of everyone in this country, but especially the children that we interact with, um, we help, like, these kinds of books normalize Islam and normalize this practice of religion as, as equally beautiful as the things that we, um, who are a country that is mostly Christian, mostly Jewish, right, um, as in that country, this, you know, in this country, um, Islam is a, min- a minority and it's just so important to highlight, um, the ways in which, um, people are proud of their heritage. They're proud of their religion. They are proud of the ways in which both culture and religion intersect, um, in the forms of these particular types of dress. And I think it's just, um, it's a really, they're really great highlighting that. They're really great. Yes. All right. What do you got next? Mm, I have... Or rather, I know what you have next, and I <laughs> obsessively love this book, so I can't wait to hear you talk about it. <laughs> okay, and I'm going to so, bite my tongue and not talk about it. Okay, so Where Are You From is a picture book, um, and it's by Yamil Saeed Mendez, and it's illustrated by Jamie Kim. Um, and I think it's been highlighted here before. I love this book. In particular, I love this book because um, it addresses these kinds of questions that I think kids that are in places where they are culturally different, um, they face, right? Like, where are you really from? What are you? You know, these kinds of questions. I have so many friends who have similar experiences from their childhood where they were asked these kinds of questions, right? And so this is told from the perspective of a girl um, who is Latinx and her grandfather is from, you know, he's from another country. And she's talking about how she goes to school and all the time people are asking her where she's from. And she's like, I'm from here. I'm from this moment. I'm from, like, I'm, I'm the same as you, right? Um, and then she asks her abuelo because he knows, right? Um, and I just love this book so much. I think it just helps us talk to kids about um, the ways in which questions like that and the way that we ask people about their identity um, can sometimes be alienating, right? And how do we think about instead, how do we bring people in and how do we learn more about people's cultures um, instead of trying to other them by asking questions like, where are you from? And where? And so anyways, I think by the end of this book, she comes to this beautiful realization of um, of understanding her, the multifaceted parts of her identity and her where she is from. And she's all of these things, right? Anyways, it's gorgeous. I love this book. Um, and I have given it as a gift no fewer than 10 times um, to Whoa. children in my life. Um, I just think it's excellent. And I want every kid in my life to read yeah. it um, because it's it's important. I think it's a really important picture book. I am fully with you on that. Um, the next book I wanted to share, having brought up the refugee experiences earlier, I wanted to share The Journey by Francesca Sana, which is a picture book. We're sharing a lot of picture books. And I was reflecting as as you and I have been talking just now about the value in this case of sharing picture books and how they can show, they can physically show other classmates, other friends, other people in your community. Whereas in a novel, and novels are great, but often we are imagining what one might look like. Mm. In um, picture books, we're engaging oftentimes our youngest readers. Um, And even if your children are pre-readers, like my four-year-old is not reading yet, but she's still soaking in all of the characters that she's meeting and all these experiences and the language that she's hearing. The story The Journey by Francesca Sana. um, I remember reading this to my girl and, and having it be sort of a scary story because there's a lot of really beautiful imagery that happens in this book. Um, with driving in the dark of night and with 
um, threatening figures uh, being portrayed as these like giant individuals. Um, Francesca, I remember reading, uh, took a number of immigrant stories and, and blended them together for this to be uh, a story uh, of of blended refugee experience, but one that has multiple elements of truth um, so that many, many people could see themselves in this story of being separated, of feeling homeless, of feeling uh, like you are unsafe where you are, um, and, and whether you're leaving because of fleeing because of war or conflict, um, that notion of of making this journey and not knowing where you're going to end up mm. uh, ends up being so effectively communicated in this book that I feel like folks who have had that experience might see themselves in it um, and folks that have not might recognize that this experience is wide enough to encapsulate a great number of people. I love that. Um, I was going to add, and I've shared this book on Book Riot before, um, The Only Road, which is by Alexandra Diaz. Um, and it's it, since we have done so many picture books, this is um, this y, like middle grades YA um, book. And it's, two, it's the first of two companion books. And it's about, it follows um, Jamie, who's a young Guatemalan boy, and he has to leave home. Um, and it's like him and I believe his cousin, and they are, are fleeing Guatemala to come to the United States. And it's just about that journey, this immigrant journey, um, to, to, you know, a better life. And I think similar, I talked about Zlata's diary when I was a kid. Um, I, I found that book to be a really formative book and I could see the only road, if you were reading this as a middle grades reader, also being really impactful, um, and helping to like, just empathize with someone who is going through this immigrant this experience, right, of having to flee home. Because I think something that's really critical when we talk about xenophobia, um, especially for people who are refugees or fleeing, you know, no one leaves home because they want to, right? Like, no one leaves home a safe, you know, healthy, happy place um, to go seek out a brand new life for no reason, right? There are deep reasons why people leave their homes. And I think it's really important to help people understand that, um, we have to pre- provide a welcoming space to welcome people in because people are leaving some some deep trauma and sadness and, and separation from their families behind. And I think it's helpful for us to help contextualize that story for young people. And, oh, yeah, and The Only Road is a Pura Belpre honor book um, the year that it came out. I think it was 2018 for that book. Um, but, yes, I love that book. That's beautiful. I do not know that book, but I look forward to seeing it. I... Um... I'm thinking about the border and a number of books that I've read recently that that tie into conversations about the border. There's um many, I think, by Duncan Donatillo, um, like Poncho Rabbit and the Coyote. Do you remember reading that? Migrant what? Tale? Poncho Rabbit, I don't think so. A while ago that I've read it, but um it talks about um coming into the US escaping Mexico to seek a life here um, and what how dangerous it is to um, come into the US mm-hmm. uh, we talk a lot about keeping folks out and I, I I understand conversations around border protection but also there are the understanding that people are coming there are there are reasons driving people into yeah. our country or into other countries yeah and, and being able to understand what might 
drive someone to do that and what dangers they might put themselves in in order to do that, I think is really important. Mm -hmm. Uh, He also has a book, uh, came out a couple years ago called Separate is Never Equal. Um, Sylvia Mendez and her family's fight for desegregation. This was, um, Sylvia Mendez helped to desegregate California schools and, um, and Tonatio's book is, is, is beautifully written in that way, um, to share that story. But, um, the stories of the border, I'm grateful that we're getting more of them. Yes. Um, and they're appearing sort of in, 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 in fun different ways. Uh, the middle grade that comes to mind is that we brought up Adam Gidwitz earlier for the Inquisitor's Tale, but he also does this Dragon Rescue Society middle grade series. Are you aware of that? <laughs> no, but it sounds great. The one he co-wrote, every book is co-written with a different author. And the one he co-wrote with David Bowles takes place on the border, and it's about chupacabras. Every book has to do with some <laughs> different mythical creature, but there's a really wonderful scene in that book of people protesting at the border. It might be re- I'll have to look up what the name is to link it in the notes. But it to me, it was so subtle and, and beautifully done to just have individuals encounter folks that this is their life, that they are... They are they are fighting for their lives and for uh, their rights and for uh, access to to um, to uh, to to jobs to ways to support their family. It's just it was powerful, powerful. So much good stuff going on in middle grade. Let's be honest. Yes, but, I want to add to the middle grade. Um, there's a book by Kelly Yang. It's called Front Desk. Oh, of um, course. You know Front Desk? Oh my word, I love Front Desk. It's so good. And I, so for me, I think, so there's the immigrant story. There's the um, the story of people who are having to leave, flee their homes and try to come to the United States or to other countries, right? Like there are some really good middle grades books right now about um, ex- refugee experiences in Syria, et cetera. But I think there's also this lived experience of um, of being a young person whose parents are undocumented, right? Um, and how, and so Mia Tang is undocumented or her parents are undocumented and they are they clean this hotel um, and she's she runs the front desk and it's just like I, I know a lot of people personally who have that experience right they were the the first generation in this country born in this country for their families and they have to act as the interpreters and they also are trying to figure out how to navigate a typical middle school or high school experience right um, and then also some, I have a friend who she was undocumented until she was 14. Um, and it was really scary going to school every day. Right. Um, because she had to make sure that, you know, she wasn't putting her family in danger if she shared too much information about this or that. Um, and I think this, this book, um, cause the parents are also, um, are possibly hiding people in the hotel, right. Um, they're hiding other immigrants in the hotel, and so I think it's just a an experience, a different side of that experience, right? And this understanding that um, it, it's complicated, and there are a lot of people who are living really complicated lives right around us every day. Um, and again, back to disrupting racism through empathy is just empathizing with you know those classmates sitting right beside us who are having experiences that are very different than ours. Um, so I really love that book by Kelly Yang. That's wonderful. Well, the last book I'd like to share because I. I want to make sure that we also represent, we've done such a great job, I think, um, 
touching on so many different cultures and experiences. And the one I want to make sure that we, we don't leave out is that of First Nation families. And I think that a part of history that I knew nothing about, uh, not only um, the Japanese internment did I not know about, I think, embarrassingly, until maybe college. Maybe it was high school, but I think it was probably college. But something I did not know about, and this is so ignorant and I'm so ashamed to know that, but something I did not know about until post-college was the boarding schools that we had for indigenous people in America. Yes. Yes. Uh, and sadly, I found out about boarding schools because of how well Canada does with communicating their history. And there are, there are now programs that, that they are trying to bring to light um, Canadian history and really center their indigenous uh, people. Uh, there's a wonderful, wonderful picture book that came out called I Am Not a Number by Ooh. Jenny K. Dupuis and Kathy Kaser. It's illustrated by Gillian Newland. Um, and it's about uh, a child Irene removed from her First Nations family and sent to live in a residential school. And she's confused and frightened and homesick. And these were schools, these residential boarding mm-hmm. schools were schools that 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 were there to take the Indian out of Indians, I think is one way I've read it put that um, they were there to, is the word naturalize people? Yeah. And assimilate Um, people and assimilate people. Yes. Yeah. Um, And, and it's awful and -hmm. it's part of our history and it's something that we don't talk about, but it's something that we have this, we continue to have a terrible, terrible history of, Othering First Nations people, othering in indigenous individuals. Um, just today, one of my friends on Facebook shared about um, some some congressperson um, complaining about um, all of these indigenous people striking at the um, water the water pipes the um, the I'm sorry the oil lines mm-hmm. that are running picketing picketing. Um, where these oil lines are running through these protected lands, uh, saying that these folks are just like standing in the way, causing problems. Just th- th- this, this abundant, forceful attitude of mm-hmm. why are you standing in the way of, of what we need to move our country forward or whatever awful, awful reasons that we can insert in there. This constant, need to degrade a people that we continue to degrade. (laughs) I think so for me, my friends who are first nation, I think they're constantly having this conversation around erasure, right. And the ways in which the existence of first nations and indigenous people in this country is constantly erased, right? Like it was erased at the time when the, the residential boarding schools were happening. And then even now, you know, it's as if, we act as if there are not uh, indigenous and native people still here in the United States, right? We act as if they're a, a thing of the past and um, people feel completely left out of this conversation about what it is um, to be a person who is is from and of this land. Um, and so I am excited. I've never seen this book. I just looked at it um, and I'm excited to read it. Yeah. Nicole, did you ever read, um, th- I think it came out this year or 2019. Did you read Indian No More? No. It was from Leon Lowe, Indian No More. Uh, it was written by Charlene Willing McManus. 
and she passed away before it was mm. published. Um, Tracy Sorrell, who um, wrote We Are Grateful, O Julie Haliga, she's written a number of, of books. She is uh, a Cherokee author. She um, helped to finish this book, but India No More is about um, Charlene's, uh, it's, it's semi-autobiographical. The girl, uh, the main character, her name is Regina. She is, I believe the tribe is Umqua. And um, they were, uh, the government in Oklahoma decided that they no longer existed. So they passed whatever legislation to say that you and these other tribes uh, never existed. We erase you from from recognition. And so to go, fr- and, then, and then offer opportunity for them to move to another place in the country, a relocation program. Mm. Uh, again, something that I have had no experience with, but one that reading that book really stuck with me that that, that is something that we've done uh, as recently as our grandparents' generation. Yeah, and continue to do. like there's, And continue you know, to do. Yeah, we continue to do. Do you feel like, speaking of continuing, that you and I could just do like another 30 books? <laughs> <laughs> we could and we should, but I, I think the biggest takeaway is that there, there, there are ways that we can talk to children, and there are so many resources and, and um, great books that are helping kids to see um, a broader world and their part in it and how they can be better sharers of the earth. I couldn't have said it better. Thank you all for joining us today. As always, we would love your feedback on this podcast, and we always appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts. When you do that, you also help other people find KidLit these days, and that's a great thing. You can find me, Matthew Winner, at Matthew Winner on Twitter. And you can find me, Nicole Young, on Twitter at... Itty Bitty NY, I-T-T-Y, B-I-T-T-Y, N-Y. If you have a story idea, reach out to us on social media using hashtag KidLitTheseDays or email us at KidLitTheseDays at BookRiot.com. We would love to hear what you're thinking about and what you'd like to hear on the show next. And on that note, may your coming days be storied and may the good stories keep on coming. Mm-hmm.